So be warned, my child, of anything else that might be said. There is no end to writing books. An excessive study only exhausts the body. And when all is said and done, here is the last word. Worship in reverence the one true God and keep his commands, for this is what God expects of every person. For God will judge every action, including everything done in secret, whether it be good or evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Well, hello everyone, I'm Neil Parks, and welcome to the program, Fill the Lamp. Our study of Hebrews last time out, we got some good understanding of the difference of the Mosaic Covenant and the Permanent Covenant, the New Covenant that Jesus Christ's blood provided. In chapter 9, verse 12, let's read it. He entered once for all time into the most holy place, entering not with the blood of goats or calves or some other prescribed animal, but offering his own blood, and thus obtaining redemption for us for eternity. My listeners, His blood was applied not merely to an earthly altar, but to the very altar of God in heaven, where once and for all it obtained redemption from sin for those who receive him. The word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's Hebrews 9.22. Jesus came the first time and then died without ever sinning. Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. His offering is so superior, it doesn't need to be repeated year after year. And it renders all further offerings obsolete. This is yet another way Jesus supersedes the priests of old. So it's important to fully understand what the author of Hebrews means by saying Christ appeared one time. This calls to mind the phrase, once for all time. That occurs three times in the book of Hebrews, verse um, or chapter 7, 9, 10, and we see it again in Romans 6, 10. Once again, the author is re- reinforcing the sufficiency, uniqueness, and effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice. His supreme sacrifice does not need repeating. All previous sacrifices, earthly priests, and days of atonement were meant to make us anticipate and long for Christ. Now, once for all and at the end of the ages, the fulfillment of all these things has finally arrived 
to put away sin forever by the sacrifice of himself, Jesus. In the final two verses of this passage of Hebrews 9, 27 through 28, the author brings new material into the conversation. Man's appointed, get this, man's appointed judgment and Christ's second coming. As the text makes clear, Christ comes a second time, not for the sake of addressing sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. In verse 27, man is appointed, what's it saying is man is appointed to die once and then judgment. The author considers man's looming death and judgment as they relate to the work of Jesus. The reason for our appointment with death and judgment takes us back to the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve they would die if they ate the forbidden tree's fruit. He appointed their death in the event of their disobedience, and in their moment of rebellion, mortality entered the human experience by virtue of our corporate union with Adam, our forefather's sin, and his experience of death became a part of our experience. Now, this emphasizes the finality in human existence. Life is lived one time, and then there is death and judgment, just as there was for Adam and Eve. Man will die, and then God will judge him. This directly relates to the work of Christ. He, too, was appointed to die once. He died one time and his death need never be repeated. And because he has died once, he will not come again to act as a sacrifice. Rather, he will come to bring final salvation for his people. This focus on death and judgment refutes the notion that death is some kind of cosmic accident. Death is not just some natural process in the world. It is part of the divine judgment on sin. Death is a verdict. But this is not the end of the story. Because of the gospel, there is hope. This is hope to which the author turns in verse 28. The message found in Hebrews 9 verse 28 is that life comes after death for those who trust in Jesus until the end. Christ was delivered up to be crucified in accordance with the definite plan of God. Acts 2, 22-24 explains it, as is the case for all men. Jesus' death was appointed. But unlike all other men, Jesus will return again. And as we consider the future with the knowledge that Christ is coming back, we must remember he is not coming back to repeat his sacrifice. 
He's not coming back to forgive sin. He's coming back to save those who are eagerly expecting him. This is great news. Christ is returning to rescue those he's saved and to claim his church solely for himself. For those who eagerly await Jesus, sweet salvation is coming. Now, the word waiting points to the fact that believers should be longing for Christ's return. We who are alive should be consciously and readily anticipating his second coming. Those who are saved and share in the hope of Christ's return are safe. Even though earthly struggles and toils still pervade our lives, Christians can and must hold to the hope that we are eternally secure in Christ right now. Again, this is part of the already-not-yet tension the author has been highlighting throughout the letter. We are absolutely saved now, but Jesus is coming again to complete our salvation experience. You see, our salvation is a past, present, and future salvation. It is past in the sense that what Christ accomplished by his blood happened long ago. It is present in the sense that we are saved and united with Christ right now. And it is future in the sense that we will be saved out of this broken world into eternal communion, peace, and freedom from sin when Christ returns. So, as we eagerly await in the present, we rejoice in the past and anticipate the new heaven and a new restored earth in the future. Every generation of Christians has been waiting for the coming kingdom. This is true of our generation as well. So as long as we are living, we are waiting. We must do so eagerly. I say, let's pray. We come before you, Father, Abba, Father. We come humbly before you. Father God, we just are eagerly awaiting your return, Lord. You died for us once, but now we eagerly wait for you. And Father God, I just lift up every listener here today that they would be in their position with you, ready for your return. You are returning for your bride, the bride that you have purified for eternity. And we thank you, Lord, in your precious name, Jesus, amen and amen. Once again, thank you for being here today. And until next time, God bless each and every one of you. I'm Neil Parks.